Shout out to U.S. Soy and the United Soy Bean Board for supporting this episode of One Song and for giving our podcast studio an unbelievably smooth, sustainable makeover. Here on our show, we dive deep into the music, dissecting every beat and lyric. Sustainability is just like that. Each eco-friendly choice we make is like a single note that contributes to life's melody. That's why Heartbeat and the USB are teaming up to lead the discussion around greening Hollywood. We're talking slashing the carbon footprint of production with soy-based alternatives like soy-based inks for printing scripts, soy foam for soundproofing studios, and even biodiesel generators to power sets. To see our sustainable studio transformation, watch the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how we pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. I'm actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. And I'm producer, DJ, and songwriter Luxury, also known as the guy who talks about interpolation. And this is one song. The show where we deconstruct and celebrate some of your favorite songs from the past 60 years in music history and tell you why they deserve one more listen. You'll never hear these songs the same way again. So, Diallo, we're going to do something a little different today. What? Well... I think you're going to like it, but if you don't, we can always not do it. Okay. Okay, great. Usually on One Song, we do a deep dive into a single song. That is why the show is called One Song. (laughs) Different song every episode. That's true. But this time, we're going to each select three songs that change the way we listen to music. They're songs that hold a special place in our heart, not just because of how much we love them, but because of what they mean to us personally. I'm so excited to share my picks with our audience and with you. Yeah, man, I am stoked to hear your songs and to share my songs with you as well. So I don't think we should wait any longer. No. I think the people are wondering, what are the songs? Let's get into they it. They want to know what the songs are. Let's I know. do it. Three songs on one song. <laughs> Many songs on one song. Many songs on one song. You know, before the show, the producers asked both of us which song we thought the other might choose. You know, one song I thought you choose. Yeah. Um, What'd you think? <laughs> you know what's funny is uh, I, I think it maybe would be Blue Sky by Yellow. Interesting. That's such an interesting choice. Why Yellow is not super far off base with me, but I'm curious why that song in particular. Because that is the ELO song that popped in my head just now. Because um, it's in every movie ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also Common sampled it for for a decent song, I want to say in the mid two thousands. But um but I'm you know, I'm actually an ELO I won't call myself a fan because I don't really know their music, but I feel like whenever I like look up that weird song that I've heard a couple of times in life and I'm like, who does this song? 
it'll it's often awesome. be electric like orchestra like you know xanadu is an example they have yeah. some great songs on that soundtrack but oh my god you know but, I, but clearly i'm Living way off john i'm way off it's not elo but you're making me reconsider some of my choices <laughs> i mean elo is in the pantheon of the greats for me jeff lynn is one of my favorite all-time songwriter producers right. i have a friend i think we have a shared friend whose mom is dating him right now oh snap it's pretty cool that oh, he's in snap. our lives we've got the jeff lynn hot guys for you vibe. but it but <laughs> he's it, dating i'm i'm sorry to say that none of the three choices i did make today were ELO. next time though next time for sure I, I was wrong i didn't get it it's okay we're still friends guess guess one of mine oh. but, but with the caveat that it can't be one of the ones that is english based <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I uh, I probably would guess knowing how well we have a lot of overlap. That's one of the yeah. fun things about our friendship. There's a lot of areas where you know a category or an era or something or an artist, and I don't, and vice versa. One shared area though is I know that you're a like early 21st century New York underground indie music fan. So, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeahs might be in there. Oh, is it that maps? Been an excellent choice. Maps. Maps is not on there. No, no, but um, so we're so we're zero for two. Do we really know each other? No, I mean that would have been a great choice. I will always, I will always, if if I'm driving through LA and I'm and I'm feeling reckless, I will always throw on Rich or or Pin. Um, or bang, those are my probably my three favorite. Yeah, yeah. Songs. We were we were texting the other night, and like I was in the middle of watching Meet Me in the Bathroom, which is a documentary yes. about this. Which you, I think, minutes later were like, I'm watching it. Like, so we both revisited what is now 20 years ago, which yeah, is insane. My first pick is a song off one of my favorite records. It's the second album from a group of three MCs who formed a rap trio they described as jazz informed hip hop. The song is Black Ego, and the band is Diggable Planets. Wow. Okay. In the east, I froze. Frozen the pose of a land disease. Those that cool as summer breeze. That song has That's everything. That's the first song on the album, isn't it? It's, um, I think there's like an intro, and then mm-hmm. it goes into that. But yeah, it's it Love it opens it. up that record, and Love it's... It. Um, blowout comb, blowout comb, slept on so classic, good. slept so on classic good. album. And yes. can I just say that one of the highlights there, I have two really big highlights of the pandemic era when everybody was on Zoom and people were DJing. Yeah, one was we became friends, right? We became we're pandemic friends. There we was did, a we did point. a podcast on the phone every couple days <laughs> for call, free. I'd call with like yeah. five minutes, I'd be like, Hey, this is a quick two minute question and then i'd look at my phone later and it was like two hours right <laughs> but so our relationship could but one of my other favorite moments of the pandemic was when i was djing and somebody added um in the comments they at um miss mech uh from yeah. this group Mecca. and she came into the into my dj set are you serious and she was just like oh i love appreciate her. she was like i appreciate you know you playing so underrated. some old some old classics and i was just like you know, 15-year-old me is flipping out they because are... Miss Mecca is in my comments, yo. Like, I wanted to tell everybody to just start listening to the show um, just for that alone. I love Diggable Planets. I love Diggable Planets. They're finally getting their flowers. They got some flowers back then. I think they won a Grammy, right? But, like, they kind of disappeared. No, but they, they never... Yeah. I, they but never, not culturally. They never they really got never to really, be, yeah. like, at the center of the culture the way the tribe and De La. Right. I mean, like, I was actually talking about this to somebody recently. You know, he, he finally got to go see Diggable Planets, I think, like, in 1997. They were opening for Sade at Candlestick Park oh or something God, like that. Gig. But he was what like, I feel like... 
you know, considering where musically they were at, like, why didn't why didn't Tribe and like the Native Tongues crew like welcome them in? It, he, I don't want to take the you know the the credit for somebody else's brilliant observation, but my friend was like, it was almost like you know Bobby Rush in Chicago politics. He was like, don't bring us anybody we don't already know. Like it was like they weren't part of the. Native tongues click, and right. so they were not allowed to become a well, part of the native. They're tongues from like click. Seattle, I think, or they're from the West Coast. They're not literally. Yeah, from I think the Ishmael Coast, Butler yeah. was from Washington, mm-hmm. I want to say, and so he had, he had moved to New York, and then right. Miss Mecca. Right. I'm not sure what her backstory was, and then and then Doodlebug was like actually down with Jeru the Damager, and like I feel like he was put with the other two because the label thought they'd be a good trio, but. I mean, like, yeah, diggable. I mean, but you're that, right. They are. Are they a New York band? Kind of. I mean, their albums are about New York. They were people who moved to New York, New York, whereas right. like Tribe, they're from Queens. You know, like they're local dudes who like blew up on the New York scene. It is a little bit different, you know. But I mean, like, diggable first album. Like everybody heard it. Everybody had an opinion. I loved it. And then second album, I'm sure that label was like, oh man, there's there's no you know slick like that on right. on this album, but. I think that second album needs a, a return list and some of the greatest sampling I've ever heard in a hip hop album. Great, great choice, man. That, that was, how did it change your relationship to music? I think it changed my relationship to music just as a listener to be recognizing the use of the Rhodes electric piano mm. as such a like core aspect of what ties together almost everything I love. Mm. And as a musician, I started to make music where that was the backbone. A lot of my music that I've made probably comes from recognizing that watery keyboard sound, that kind of, it's it, it sort of has an elongated and soft um, introduction. Like every time, every chord you play on the roads is a bit softer as you attack the chord. And then it's got this watery, elongated feeling. And this song is like the mastery of that. You really feel like you're you're submerged wow. and only your eyes can see above like <laughs> a little bit because like of the Langoris slow groove with that like insane meter sample. I'm a huge fan of the meters. So the drummer, the drum break is from the meters song. I think here comes the meter man. I should double check that. But it's definitely Zigaboo Modaliste, who's my favorite in my top three, I just dramas. like the, I'll just I like the fact you pronounced that correctly. Zigaboo Modaliste. What a name. <laughs> and a what name. a drummer. He does that insane syncopated boom, ka, ka, boom, boom, ka, ka, dun, da, da, ka. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. How syncopated it is. How not just boom, cat, boom, boom, cat. The opposite of uh, just a s- simple funk beat comes into play here. And I the mean, entire, yeah. You, I mean, no, you nailed it because I think one of the things we're doing with this episode is we're. We're talking about the ways that we came to know each other better. And one of the things I like about the way you talk about music is like you break it down by the bass line, by the drums. Like, you know, I hadn't ever heard anybody talk like that about music before. So I'm well, glad you here. Right? I'm glad we're friends too. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're here for. And just to sort of finish my thoughts on this song, mm-hmm. one thing that I think is cool from a like, what is happening creatively in the production process is they did something similar to uh, Portishead in that. There's a combination of samples and live instrumentation mm. happening. Mm-hmm. And I've done some digging, and I actually, I think Dave Darlington, I think is the name of the producer. I want to get that right. But a lot of the like bass playing and Rhodes playing is actually not sampled. It just feels sampled. So you've got on the bottom layer, you've got that meters drum beat. Mm. On top of that, 
you've got replayed or I think created. I don't think they're replaying a sample. I think that's just a song they wrote with those chord changes. It feels though like the entire thing is a breakbeat. It feels like it could be a Bob mm, James sample. I, I totally the drums, agree. the Rhodes, and the bass together, but it's not. And then on top of that is the rapping. So this sort of three layers mm-hmm. is really cool when it's done. Um, yeah, I remember the well. single off that album was Eighth Wonder, and I feel like sort of the oh, same thing there. Eighth Wonder is a, is a sample, but it also sounds like they've got some live inf- instrumentation I think the over bass, too. I think that bass line, the, the don't, 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 yeah. don't, I love that. But, like that but that song comes, like as a DJ, like that song comes in big, like when it's got the wow, 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 and like right. you're like, as a DJ, like you just want to open up a big music festival with that shit and just have the crowd be like, yeah. Right. You know, like that, oh, that's right, because that's, that's the like James Brown, Funky People sample that Public Enemy yeah, used for uh, Public on. Enemy Number One, exactly. right? Right. Yeah. Oh my God! All these—that's <laughs> a huge part of what I love about, first of all, music, but talking about music with Diallo, and the appreciation of it all is like how these things are connected. How you get from one artist to the other, from one era to the other, and how it's a history lesson when you break apart these songs and you start to realize, oh, this is coming from that. And one thing I'll go to the mat on, and that's maybe one of the big themes that run through our all of our episodes and go seasons. Go to the mat, man. Go I'm to going the mat. to the mat is that that, as a creative choice, is so valuable to to culture and at large. The idea that like reusing things not as what is some people consider laziness, but reusing and sampling comes out of an appreciation for and a re-upping of, a remember this of, a kind yeah. of pointing to what came before as an education process. Absolutely. I love that part of it. It's a conversation. So cool. Diggable Planets, one of my all-time favorites, Black Ego. I'm with you. Dial, I got a question for you. Oh, damn. What song did you choose? Well, you know, the first song I chose is by an English synth pop duo don't tell me um no keep going with the hints and i'll see if i can guess. okay okay uh these two they met in 1981 okay keep they going. shared an affinity for disco and electro pop records you know what's uh, funny is so far that's still about 120 bands like you've not <laughs> know, narrowed it down keep going They're like flock of seagulls <laughs> one part of their backstory that i like a lot is that they were apparently like reviewing songs by other artists when <laughs> one of the people they reviewed was like okay so if you guys have such strong opinions why don't you guys do better and i feel like i think that's i know honestly, who this is yeah yeah go on no no i think i know it is without hint that's no a good i one. mean like seriously it's it's almost the reason i found myself uh with a writing partner bashir salahuddin uh writing comedy because we were critics essentially of other people's movies and tv shows we were like oh man you know like and someone called you out on it and challenged you like well, you somebody do, was you like do man y'all think y'all could do better you know, I don't know why I gave them that voice because they never, <laughs> <laughs> they never actually came at us that aggressively. But you know, at some point we were like, you know, maybe we should do better. And my mom was actually the one who was like, you know, you guys should start writing comedy because you're funny. And now, you know, thanks, mom. I'm glad you brought that up. Sometimes um, critics push us into new areas. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Sometimes That's a little bit of aggression happens. and adversity right. brings about, you know, some some good times. That's where the um, growth happens. I'll give you one more hint. In 1983, the two recorded a track inspired in part by a T.S. Eliot. Poem. Uh, oh. Any, any? No, I thought I had it. Now I've gone the other I lost direction. His, I lost your TS. <laughs> Went the other direction. <laughs> the wasteland. <laughs> the song know. title is West End Girls, and the group. <gasps> oh my is god, the Pet Shop Boys. The Pet Shop I freaking Boys. love them. Let, let's hear a little Neil, bit. Of- Neil Tennant used to write for like, uh, was it NME? Or I think he was a writer. It was a critic yeah. for NME. Yeah, and uh, let's see if we can listen to to some of the young folks in the room who may not already know. Here is West End Girls by the Pet Shop Boys. Very soon. The East End Boys and West 
so sick. Pure 1983 heat. It stands the test of time, and yet it is so time-stamped. It sounds so good. <laughs> it is so 1983. Uh, you know, let me just say right mm. off the bat that um, my first memory of this is I was sitting in elementary school, and I was, like, you know, singing this song, and, like, all the kids knew it because, you know, at that age, you're all listening to everything. But I'll never forget one girl saying, like, oh, man, you like white music? Oh, you know? it's got to be like, like that. Oh, but this song is so good. I mean, like, I can I can remember in Atlanta where I grew up, like, there was definitely a line in the sand between the black stations and the pop stations. And so, yes, I did listen to V103, but I also did listen to, I don't remember what the call sign was for the, for the white pop station, but that was where I got stuff like Pet Shop Boys and Swing Out Sister and, like, all these, like, groups from that era and i just i just remember thinking at the time and like most of the kids even though they would clown me for listening to white music it was we all thought it was rapping that's what's interesting in right, 1983 right. he is basically in rapping he's basically rap- he's not it's really like, singing that song at we all. didn't know austin powers <laughs> yet but it honestly sounded like if austin powers could rap it's like i'm tall you better off dead you know like it was just you know and i think about that for, like it comes in hard like pet shop, like what's it go? Sometimes you're better off dead if there's a gun in your hand and it's pointed at your head. Like, woo! That's he, like Grandmaster Flash. That's like the message. There's drama. Is a is a person feeling suicidal? Like what? It didn't even make sense to me, but I just knew that was some hard. That was some hard stuff for 1983. I just I just feel like this song was was so cool, and and I think the reason why it's personal for me is because it was one of the first times in my life that it was that I was aware of the fact that I was listening to not just what my immediate friends in my elementary school classroom would listen to. I was listening to, you know, something that was different. And granted, it was a big pop song at the time, so it's not like I'm like a eight-year-old out there, you know, going through the record stacks. But um, it was one of the first times I was like, oh, I listened to a little bit of everything. You know, and now it's like a bragging right, you know. Like, everybody's like, oh, I listen to everything. But, like, in the 80s, like... You, I love the movie SLC Punk because they're like the new romantics hated the punks and the punks hated you know the grease like everything was divided so much by music and it was definitely no different in Atlanta but you know I just feel like it was it was a time when I was just discovering that there was a lot of music out so was there. this song the one that broke through and like before this prior to this maybe you felt like the music and the group that you were part of were connected and suddenly you were like, there's something outside of this group and I need to make a choice whether I'm going to go for it and be like, yes, I like things outside of the group or no, you're right, this sucks. I think it was, like I said, you know, your world in elementary school is the people that you're in that classroom with, yeah. you know, and I and it occurred to me that through my radio, through my alarm clock, which had in the radio right now, every Gen Z person is like, what? Those two devices were combined? Um, <laughs> my my alarm clock had a radio, and whatever that pop station was, I was listening to that just as much as I was listening to, you know, the Black Radio Station. So I, I, you know, at that time, like, Michael Jackson was probably getting played on both, you know what I mean? Prince was probably getting played on both, but, you know, Anita Baker wasn't getting paid on both, right. you know what I mean? Right, like. Right. And uh, so I had my Anita Baker side, but I also had, you know, Pet Shop Boys and, you know, um, 
Oingo Boingo was like something that I really seemed to like a lot back in the days, mainly because, you know, his songs, you know, Danny Elfman's songs were getting into movies like Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, that's where like, you hear them? Yeah, yeah. Like I would hear a song either on that pop radio station or in a movie and think, oh, I really like Burning Down the House because my parents let me watch, you know, Revenge of the Nerds before I was ready to watch it. Well, it's so interesting that like that's that. First of all, I love this song. I love your choice. And I'm thinking about how interesting it is. Because that era of music of what was on the pop charts, which had come out of kind of, a lot of it was coming out of a post-punk movement, which Mm -hmm. was the integration in rock music of lots of things that came from dance music and came from black music and came from disco. And come from reggae. Like if you think like Culture Club, these are that's those are reggae songs. That's crazy, right? Right. Culture Club yeah. and the police were police are doing reggae influenced by example. reggae and reggae. And particular. I think about it, I wasn't yeah. really into like Guns N' Roses and and um, but that's um, what I'm saying. Like the Bon rock. Jovi. That 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 yeah. was. I mean, I, I I heard those songs too, but that wasn't my thing. I really liked stuff on keyboards and synthesizers. You know, Hall and Notes. I always talk about the fact that you and I both agree. You can play Hall and Notes for almost any any type of music fan, and that shit goes over big. You know, like there's something about Hall and Notes that just crosses so many lines. Right, and one thing that all of those acts share is how rhythmic it is. Yes, meaning very, the drums and yeah. bass matter, and there are syncopated rhythms in the bass. Like that really basic thing carries through in a way very differently from just the guitar-driven rock music that came before. And the tempos are more danceable. Like a lot of what was integrated into white music, into white pop music, especially the British invasion, the British, yes, humanly kind of era yeah. stuff. Where where Pet Shop Boys fit you know perfectly and Duran Duran all of those guys. I'm surprised that nobody that. has done anything with West End Girls. I feel like you could take their yeah, vocals out and put Luther Vandross over it, and it would make sense. Yeah, like because that baseline is so throaty, is so wobbly, it's, it's so, so dope. wobbly and yeah. dope. That song's produced also by Bobby O, Bobby Orlando, who did like the flirts. You know that song? I know the flirts. There's that I didn't song know that, that Felix the Housecat yeah, of course. samples. Passion. For those listening, Passion is a great Italian disco song. Uh, the genre is called Italo disco, but it's a great Italian disco song. If you get two seconds, go on YouTube, find The Flirts. The name of the song is Passion. And you'll probably hear some connective tissue between that and, and West End Girls. That song is so sick, but used as a sample on this track, which I'll play, transforms it. One of my favorite combinations. So here's Felix the House Cat with Miss Kitten sampling that song we just heard by The Flirts. I get so hyped when I hear that track. Great, 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 great Both of them are great. So that's Bob. The, that's the Bobby O connection, who produced and co-wrote that Pet Shop. Something I am song. learning today. Thank you, my friend. There's, this you, is why we talk. Go look up when we're when you get home. There's a demo version on YouTube. That's the prior prior to the release version of West End Girls. That's a little more Bobby O sounding with that bouncy boom. So go wow, check it. There's I, a, there, definitely check that. The out. demo of West Bobby End Girls. Bobby O. Bobby Orlando. So that was my first song. It, it had a big impact on me. Uh, what's your second song? Well, my next song is a song that stopped me in my tracks when I first heard it. I literally felt like I couldn't move. It's by a British band out of Bristol. Hint, hint, hint. 
that actually narrows it down to three, right? Three big, <laughs> the three big Bristol bands. I think whose, I know it. I think you may know it. Whose debut album, Dummy, was a commercial and critical success. The band is Portishead. The song is 1994's Pedestal. <laughs> So just listening back to that track, I'm remembering, I mean, it just instantly transports mm. me back in time as music wonderfully does so often. But one thing that struck me on this listen is the bass line. It, it goes up that half step and it's a certain frequency. I'm going to stop right there with the word frequency in, in sciencey stuff, <laughs> partially because it's kind of like, you know, it's a little bit beyond the scope of the show, but I also don't know it that well. I'm not a scientist of sound, but I do know that certain frequencies can like make you poop and certain frequencies <laughs> can make you just stop dead in your Is tracks. That's what they call the brown note? That's the brown note. Oh my God. That's I the brown that was note. An urban legend. No, I, I don't know if it is, but I read about it in a Tintin a long time ago, <laughs> so it must be true. And um, you're like, all I know is I always shit whenever I hear that sound. <laughs> <laughs> that track, that Portishead, the production on that is so insane that they have somehow captured this one bass note where I can't move. It's like I am I am in the sunken place of sound while wow. that song is playing. It's really like a dream where you're like, you see things happening and you just can't do anything. So another wonderful thing that I was thinking as we just listened back was the um, line that she sings and she's barely singing. That's wonderful. a wonderful thing about Beth Gibbons is her voice is like, she's kind of, it's like Amy Mann. She's one of those singers who's, she's obviously singing, but it's like, she's not belting it. She's not shaka conning it. She's kind of like, just singing it like this, really close to the mic. If microphones weren't invented, she couldn't be a singer. Like she, she's one of those kind of crooner types. Um, but she's about to sing, You Abandoned Me, How I Suffered. And that line, just like when I first heard it, I was going through a breakup. It was really dark. She wasn't calling <laughs> me back. And to the present day, it still is kind of a marker of very sad moments. Very recently, I had something happen and everything's fine now, but I put that record on. I made the mistake of putting that record on <laughs> and I was crying. I was bawling in midday on a Tuesday. Um, it's crying just got that Tuesday? power, power, power of the emotional content of both her voice and, and the bass. I love a good lyric that, if, you know, like we all hear, you know, <laughs> I was talking to Kevin Hart just recently. He was like, anytime he tries to sing, he always starts with the word girl. So it's always like, girl. <laughs> and, then he, and then whatever follows after that. But That's I brilliant, shout actually. out to Kevin. Good creative technique. Us. Yeah. Um, but one thing, I, I, I like a lyric that's like incredibly sad or dark. And you just, it just, you know, I remember on, um, that reason everything but the girl song uh nothing to lose nothing left to lose she says she sings kiss me while the world decays like i was just like oh like what a what a gut punch that is so I, i've been there yeah. i've been there when that one lyric is just like i can't believe this is happening marvin gaye's got some lyric um oh you know in um in the song i think uh what's happening brother or it's on what's going on but um it's the it's the line where he says uh you know, he's talking about war is hell. When will it end? You know, and he's t talking about all this stuff that sucks. And he's like, "Oh, and by the world, and by the way, how the hell have you been?" There's something about the way he sings. How the hell have you been? It's so heartbreaking. Wow. Because you get the sense that he's like really feeling it. And this other person he's talking to is probably really feeling it, but he's checking in with him all the same. Wow. So I, you know, the power of a lyric. Right. Sometimes. I was the, thinking, as you said, the Marvin Gaye sounds like the zooming out on the awful, but then like the zooming in on the yeah, personal. Yeah, he's been talking right. about, you know, like, yeah. you know, 
how's our team doing? You know, do you think they stand a chance? You know, like he's saying about every singing about everything else happening in the world, but then he zooms in out of nowhere and he's like, and by the way, brother, how the hell have you been? <laughs> I'm not gonna hit falsetto. No, that was way beautiful. He does, it but, moved but, me. But he hits that hell. I felt moved. And and you feel yeah, you feel moved. There's something really powerful about a voice in your ear. As we ourselves yes. are right now to the listeners out there whose ears we are tickling with our <laughs> flights of fancy of prose about music, dancing about architecture. But yes. it is powerful, endlessly powerful. And the reason why I love music so much, especially recordings, like recorded music is a beautiful phenomenon because a recording from 20, 30, 40, whatever years ago can have an emotional resonance throughout your entire life. Absolutely. And it, it's like a rock that stays consistent for you. It's something you can rely on. Uh, one thing about Portishead, um, number one, I always liked Portishead. Um, Portishead, Massive Attack, um, without stepping too far outside the genre. I even put some of the Primal Scream stuff in there. And I feel like DJ Shadow was big in that time. Like There were a lot of people who were sort of Cruder like... Kruder and just, Dorfmeister. They were Kruder and Dorfmeister. They were all sort of, in my view, sort of just east of hip-hop. Mm-hmm. You know, like they were sampling. It was very moody in the way that 90s hip-hop was very moody. Um, and even though they were selling, it wasn't like in your face pop, you know, like it was. Right. It well, was, I'm just making the connection now as you're saying it. It's the same thing that happened in West End Girls. Yes. Which is that the British white people, to, yes. British white people started to bring in a more, re, a more recent yeah. black music phenomenon of hip hop. So it's the tempos, it's the break beats, and they're singing their white people songs on top of it. And that's its own beautiful format. But how interesting that it's connected to the other one. It turns out yeah. white people doing <laughs> black out, music sells pretty not, well. This didn't just happen once. <laughs> this didn't just happen once. But that is a great group. And um, I, I, I honestly wish I knew them a little bit better because I feel like I know sort of the, the big Portishead songs. I don't know like the, the, the smaller ones. Yeah. Even Massive Attack. I, I, I consider myself a fan. You know, I know Teardrop and some of their other songs. but I, But it's not... You know, maybe because it wasn't made to be a radio single. I don't know all well, the songs. I'll make another connection to my previous song, by the way, that I just thought of about Portishead is they did a similar phenomenon, but they went a step further in terms of sampling. They didn't sample anything. I, I take that back. I think on their record, they have maybe two or three samples, but everything that sounds sampled in most of their work is themselves jamming and then recording the jam and then pressing up an acetate, an actual vinyl copy Amazing. of their jam. So they sample. basically made a record right. of them playing something so they could manipulate it like they were sampling. Precisely somebody. right. And so the aesthetic quality of the sound would feel like the samples that had been in the culture for the previous 10 years, which are sampled off I of really wax. want to make an acetate now. It's like, so Oh, cool. That is the coolest thing it I've is ever pretty heard. cool that they did that. Yeah. <laughs> and it also avoids the whole I haven't said it this this episode, so I have to interpolate. It was interpolate. They there were interpolating no, themselves. They were interpolating in them. a weird they're, way. They're a little bit interpolating themselves, but they're avoiding the sampling interpolation side of hip hop mm-hmm. that can get other people into hot water. Absolutely. They did license the one or two samples they do use on that record. But anyway, Portishead, Dumb. uh such a like thread through my life. Every every every, every college student had that C D, I yes. feel like. Yes. And they had that Robert Duano poster with the kiss. Yes. So, Diallo, what's your second song? Uh, this next song, you know, is from a group. To me, it changed the way I heard hip-hop. In fact, I can remember sitting in my friend's car, and he was like, yo, check this out. I just heard this while I was up in New York. And I remember him popping in the, the tape because it was a cassette deck. And um, I remember being 
moved and like wanting to get into a fight like I was so hype. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, is this even hip hop? Because it just didn't sound oh, wow. like anything that we had ever heard. I, can, I have from no before. idea what this is. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. You got just some play it. I'm not just even going to say What's a hint? I need Man. a hint. Um, <laughs> I probably won't know it. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino uh-huh. became a friend what? of one of the members. Famously, I don't know. Later, DMX? later in the later in the decade, I can see Quentin and DMX being buddies. <laughs> That'd be interesting. <laughs> I, I have no idea who this is. I'm excited. Oh my god! Give I'm me excited. a hint. I need a hint. I'm excited to play it for you. Okay, but I can't play it until after the break. Oh, you tease. Shout out to U.S. Soy and the United Soybean Board for supporting this episode of One Song. And for giving our podcast studio an unbelievably smooth, sustainable makeover. Here on our show, we dive deep into the music, dissecting every beat and lyric. Sustainability is just like that. Each eco-friendly choice we make is like a single note that contributes to life's melody. That's why Heartbeat and the USB are teaming up to lead the discussion around greening Hollywood. We're talking slashing the carbon footprint of production with soy-based alternatives like soy-based inks for printing scripts, soy foam for soundproofing studios, and even biodiesel generators to power sets. To see our sustainable studio transformation, watch the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how we pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back to One Song, the show where we deconstruct and celebrate some of our favorite songs from the past 60 years and tell you why it deserves one more listen. Before the break, Diallo was just about to tell us which song changed his life. I mean, it definitely changed my relationship to hip-hop because I was like, man, if they're making hip-hop that's produced and sounds like this, anything is possible. This is a hip-hop group out of Staten Island whose members include Method Man, Ghostface, Old Dirty Bastard. Staten Island is all I needed. (laughs) You got Jizza, the RZA, Inspector Dead, Raekwon the Chef, you know... 
so many members. I mean, like, I don't think, I think there, there was a, I don't think there was a black group with this many members since the Commodores had like twenty six dudes I on think stage. Clinton had like fifty on stage. Yeah, <laughs> I always used to joke that like when Lionel was like introducing the rest of the group, like he had to set aside the last twenty five minutes of the performance. Like <laughs> there were so many Commodores. In fact, I'm convinced there were so many Commodores. Lionel was like, you know what, I'm gonna do this next album by myself. <laughs> Hello. <Too> much introducing. <laughs> um, the group is, of course. Wu-Tang Clan and the song, there are a lot of songs, but this one I just remember very clearly. The song is Protect Your Neck. I'm kicking the Lone Ranger, co-ed, danger. Deep in the dark with the art to rip the charts apart. The vandal, too hot to handle your battle. You're saying goodbye, goodbye like Tevin Campbell. Um, oh my God, it's just, it's always crazy to me. We were just talking about lyrics. It's always crazy to me that somewhere in this brain, you know, like, I had to remember the names of my kids. I had to remember, like, <laughs> the combination to a door. And uh, somewhere is filed away almost every single lyric on Enter the 36 Chambers. Right. Almost you might every need, single one. You might need it at some point. I mean, so it's yes, useful yes. information. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be like, we have a gun to your head, comrade. <laughs> now, now recite perfectly the torture sketch. And I would. I'd be able to be like, torture, motherfucker, torture. I'll fucking, I'll fucking, you know, like, I don't even know if Sirius allows this You'd much survive. profanity. You would survive in a test like that, so <laughs> you're safe. Look, man, I'm telling you, uh, protect your dad. All I can remember straight up was, like, nothing sounded like this. Like, they didn't sample James Brown, you know. Shout out to EPMD and everybody who sampled James They didn't sample James Brown. Or if they did, it was completely, you couldn't make it out in yeah. the song. Like, they were sampling weird, you know, they were sampling weird um, martial arts exploitation films. You know, they were sampling the Charmels. They were sampling some really obscure stuff and chopping it up in ways, shout out to the RZA, chopping it up in ways that we had just never heard before. I mean, you know, this was, hip-hop in the 90s, it was the intro to a culture. It was all about being, you know, part of that 5%, you know, nation in New York. And I just, I was there for it. It was just, you know... It blew my mind. And the whole conceptual thing, the whole, like, there's so much yes. lore. There's so much lore involved. Yes. That was, that was crafted. Now, let me say this. Before Wu-Tang Clan, there was Fushnikens, which oh is a forgotten group from the 90s. And and I remember initially among me and my friends, they were like, oh, Wu-Tang Clan, they just copying Fushnikens. <laughs> you know, like, and now it's like, how many people remember, you know, I am a true, what? I am a true Fushnik. How many people even remember that? But you got to remember, there was not a lot of, like, nowadays, you know, we've got these streamers and, you know, you can watch so much stuff from so many decades. But back in the day, like on Saturday afternoons, there was only Godzilla movies and these kung fu flicks, <laughs> you know? And so we'd all seen these flicks and the idea that somebody was sampling them and putting them with like samples of like Voltron cartoons, like it was almost like an early introduction to the culture of black nerds. Shout out to all the black nerds out there. <laughs> like, you know, we were not trying to like play in WA because that was the pop hip hop of the time. But like this felt underground and this felt like catered to us. You know what I mean? I mean, That's you got so cool. Method Man. He literally, you know, he it's such a it's such a beautiful double entendre. Like on the one hand, Method Meth, that was like a, a, a slang at the time for like marijuana. But also he, you know, he had listened to Method of Modern Love by Hall & Oates once yep. again, crossing yep. the line. Which he interpolates you know, in that track, Which too. he interpolates yeah. on right. the track. Like, it was just, oh, you know, I'm just saying, like, the, the Wu-Tang, they, they spoke to us, you know? Like, it, to us, it was like, it was nerdy music. Right. Did I, I've got such a question about the 
lore aspect of it? Was that part of what drew you in? Was it appealing to you that there was more than the music? There's the gang. There's the nine of them. There's sort of the troop. The um, coolness of amazing. a group of I mean, people. like, I think it was easily the biggest crew. At a time when every hip-hop video had, like, the rapper or, like, the rappers in the front of, like, 80 dudes, you know, like, all standing in the background, like, waving right. their hands from it, side it, it to side. Because it sort of implies that there's, like, a story behind it that you're curious to know more yeah. about. Yeah, I mean, I guess the idea of a, having a posse and having all, you and all your boys around, but it wasn't just one of you rapping. It might be two of you. It might mm -hmm. be three of you. Wu-Tang was the first to say, no, everybody gets a verse. <laughs> everybody, we're going to have nine verses on this and song. And you're going to wait till we're done And you just have to be there for us. every verse. Right. And to this day, I can walk up to a, a, a black, I feel like I could walk up to any black dude of a certain age and just start rapping the lines that open up Wu-Tang Triumph. And they'll go along with me. You know, I can walk up like, you know, like, I bomb atomically, Sophocles philosophies, and hypothesis can be bombed. Like, motherfuckers start losing their mind, and it's because we know all those Wu-Tang lyrics. I see somebody in the studio, like, just going like, yeah. Like, it's just something about knowing Wu-Tang lyrics. Like, they were just, they, they were writing lyrics. you got to also realize where we are. This is right before Outcast comes out. So like we've been treated to the to the I would say the NWA, you know, early Dr. Dre sound of the West Coast. We definitely have Pete Rock and CL Smooth, um, which is you know, DJ Pete Rock's the producer there. Guru, DJ Premier, he's got a sound. You know, they're very distinct sounds. Rizzo was on none of that shit. Yeah. You know, like he had absolutely his own sound. This is before This isn't that jazzy tribe and no, this stuff isn't, we were talking about. No, this isn't about. jazzy. Yeah. This is like, it feels like punk, yeah. you know, but from a black point of view. Well, you, you mentioned know? Public Enemy. It seems to have a connection to that lineage too. But see, I would say the Public Island. Enemy is more the bomb squad, and yeah. it didn't sound like the bomb squad either. It It, it really was... Just its own, because it's so stripped down. In a weird way, it's the anti-bomb squad because the mm -hmm. bomb squad was so layered and it had so many different things. That, like when you go back and listen to those Public Enemy records, which I love, they've got like 30, 30 uncleared samples. Right, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But with the RZA, like it's not just what he sampled; it's the space he leaves in between the mm -hmm. beat. Like if you listen to "Protect Your Neck" or if you listen to "Cream" or uh, so many of those early you know, Wu-Tang tracks. Like, it's the space in between that feels very Spartan. And I think that's what sounded almost eerie and haunting and, and almost like horror movie about those early, uh, right, right. you know. And and again, I'm in Atlanta. This is before Andre and Big Boy started Outcast. Like, we're just not used to these sounds. The sounds were just out of, out of the box. Right. It was just different. That's so cool. This is so awesome, Diallo. I'm learning so much about you, and I, I thought I knew you so well before, but this is like another layer of richness to our right. friendship. My man, Luxury, what is your third song? I wonder if you can guess. I'm not sure that you know that I even give, like give this band. Give me one hint, and it can be a really obscure hint. All right, well, it's Los Angeles. Okay, Los Angeles. L.A. and its band. I'm L.A. band, Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's not the Chili Peppers. You're not wrong in the terms doors. of the cohort. The door. You went back too far. You went back too far. <laughs> right cohort, though. The Chili Peppers were, in the, were in the crew. Rage Against the Machine. All right, we're, we're going the wrong direction now. <laughs> um, no, here's what's going on here. The last song I chose, Diallo, is probably the song that's impacted me the most out of these three, at least emotionally, <laughs> maybe not as much musically. It's a band that rose to fame on the L.A. rock scene in the late 80s, and the song itself is a bittersweet ode to lost loved ones. It's called Then She Did by Jane's Addiction. Yeah. 
you know, one of the reasons I, I look forward to our conversations is because you know bands that I know, but don't know super well. And I feel like Jane's Addiction is one of those. I'm bands. about to blow your mind. Not okay. only is this band, but Blake, this guy, Luxury's real name, Blake, when he was before Luxury, I was so obsessed with this band that I had dreadlocks. <laughs> And I had the little metal things in the dreadlocks, just like the lead singer, Perry Farrell. Oh, wow. The obsession was sad. Not sad. <laughs> I'm going to be kind to my younger self. It was very deep, though. This song... It was pure. It was very pure. And part of, it, I think it's not insignificant that this song hit me in my teen years, because I just really connected to the... We were talking about sort of the tribal aspect of bands with Wu-Tang. The tribal aspect of the band... Jane's Addiction. I, I wanted to be in the band. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be all of the performers. I was also learning instruments. And I can say, like, as I think about it, actually, I was going to say the drummer really influenced me, but all four band members, in, their influence on my particular connection to the instrument, Eric Avery on bass, Stephen Perkins on drums, um, Dave Navarro on guitar. Oh, and of Dave. Course, Perry Dave Navarro's in this band. I totally forgot about that. They all had massive influence on me yeah. at an impressionable young musician age because they were bringing all these elements together. They've got some very clear, there's some Led Zeppelin in there. There's some this, there's some that. But also, I'll just never forget, like, I read this interview with Dave Navarro when he <laughs> talks about, as he's an insane guitar player. He's one of our greatest living guitar players, but he's... He's a little bit humble about the guitar playing because it's a lot about the, the chest and the tattoos. <laughs> but I really loved the man. And he said something that really influenced me where he's talking about how Robert Smith from The Cure is one of his biggest guitar influences. And Robert Smith from The Cure is not much of a guitar player. He's a competent yeah. player of the instrument. But his point was, like, you don't have to be great to write great to songs. To be emotive with it. And, oh, my God, that made such an impression on Young Luxury's life <laughs> to be like this rock god is saying you don't have to be a rock god to make music. So that was a huge thing for me. Um, with this song in particular and that moment of it, like... I'm glad we played that snippet and not the one at the end because I would burst into tears again. Why, these are all the songs that make me cry that I chose. I'm just noticing. A lot, of, a lot of people are listening on their radio, so you can cry all you want. Okay. Well, the tears will be tears of emotional joy and breakthrough. Um, it's a song about his mom who committed suicide when he was a kid. And it's really, the lyrics are so much more poignant when you know that, but you don't need to know the story to kind of feel that that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who passed away who committed suicide a few years ago. And when I recently listened to it, it, it kind of piled all up. all that stuff back. And I, I had another Tuesday cry on the couch <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I was listening back to this song a few weeks ago. And so it just reminded me of, like, again, the beauty of why music is good and important in life. Because it can, it can, it can stir emotions. And that's, yeah. that's everything to me. Like, I think for some people it's film and... I'm certainly capable of feeling emotion from a film, but the emotion that I feel from a song is its own kind of thing. And no, this absolutely. song has so much that it carries with it. It's so interesting because I think we take our, our musical taste wherever we go. And, you know, like, you know, it's not one of the songs that I picked, but <laughs> and some people would probably find this really weird. But the Underworld song, the Underworld is like a, a dance group, but the their song uh, Cherry, Cherry Pie, is it Cherry or Cherry Pie? I forget. But the first time I heard it, I got chills. You know what I mean? And it's, and then, you know, that's, 
that's that's when music works, right? That's, Chills that's from it music. It's like it bypasses the, yeah. the brain, the like Makes logical no sense thinking. In some ways, goes straight to the the heart. There aren't even any any lyrics to to Cherry Pie, and I think that you know it's it's clearly just something that the music is doing that's making me feel something primal uh, that 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 is in there. But you know, talking about Jane's addiction. I always liked Jane's Addiction. Anytime I heard Jane's Addiction, I liked it. Like, Been Caught Stealing, like, it's got this bass line that's, like, kind of aggressive and yeah. hard. And then Perry's voice comes in, I was right. <laughs> once when I was five. You know, like, you're like that's not right. the voice I expected over these no, guitars, no. you know? Um, there's that. And uh, can I just admit, one of my absolute favorite songs of the 90s, of the 90s, is... Uh, Pets by Porno for Pirates. Yes, underrated. You know, band, I, who plays yeah. the guitar on that? Because that, like, that's one of my favorite sort of like can almost give me chills if I'm in the right move sort yeah. of things. I guess it may not be uh, his his Jane's Addiction. Well, it's uh, half of Jane's Addiction. It's the yeah. side project. It's him and and again on drums, Stephen Perkins, who's in my yeah. top three. My top three drummers of all time are Stephen Perkins, Zigaboo Modeliste. So we got two out of three <laughs> of them today, and the third one would be John Bonham. Oh, Led nice. Zeppelin. He's probably my number one. Oh, fantastic. Drums are my first instrument. That was the first thing I learned to play. And that so. was something we only learned recently that we had in common was that, you know, we've both, yeah. we both started our, our music paths as drummers. What are your top three drummers? Oh, well, that's now you've put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to not come up with the cool answers. Um, I'm going to come up with the truthful answers. The first what are you drummer. Implying? Mine the were first, truthful. The, the first drummer I fell in love with was Animal from uh, the Muppets. I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't know who I know he's based on yeah, Keith Moon. Beats. I know he's based on yeah. Keith Moon, but but Animal was like I was like I want to play that instrument because he's crazy <laughs> and I want to be crazy too. That's awesome. Uh, I told you I'm going to answer completely truthful. Um, Quest Love <laughs> because actually pretty I, cool, though. I thought Quest Love was great before I met him. The very first time I actually talked to him, he was standing outside of Tower Records in Atlanta by Atlantic Square Mall, and I and I recognized him, and he had the big fro back then. And I walked up, I was like, Hey man, I, I really think Do You Want More is a great album. And he was like, oh, yo, that's cool, man. He had his, you know, he had a bunch of records on his arm. He talked to us, you know, nobodies for like five minutes, that's you know, awesome. and I was just like, and then I had no idea that He'd be years later I would be a writer on Fallon working with him for four years. Um, and then after that, oh gosh, I, you know, let, let me hold off on that because I feel like there's somebody who I'm 100% forgetting, but you know, who, who is Quincy Jones's? Drummer on Off the Wall and Thriller. I feel like oh, we man. should know who that is. I think it might be John Robinson, but I. Oh my God, John Robinson! Very wow, you just pulled that out Dude, of thin air. Every now and then, the brain I'm, works I'm like impressed. Google. I'm very um, yeah, John Robinson. I think it has to be up there just because he did so many I- iconic. It's really easy to forget that you know. It's the same reason why I feel like people should not rag on Ringo Starr. It's hard for a drummer to both come up with like iconic drumming, but also not get in the way of everything else that's happening. And I feel like that's the case with Ringo Starr. I feel like that's the case with John Robinson. Um, uh, frankly, Meg White deserves her flowers. Hell, hell yeah. That, that Love band, Meg it, White. It would make no sense <laughs> with, with like a drummer that was doing the typical thing in the typical way would be boring. Part of what gives that band character. Love Meg White. Meg White. No, she's great. Um, White Stripes. Jane's Addiction. Yeah, Jane's addiction, man. I knew. I, I hope. We're, I, I hope the shock has worn off that that was one of my selections. But I'd love you to give me like a playlist of like some Jane's album, not Jane says, which I think is a beautiful song about kicking an addiction. Right. <laughs> but but give me give me like three or four uh, album cuts to, yeah. after the show that I should listen to because I feel like I would like 
you know, and and my my last sort of like Perry Farrell thing that I have to bring up is that one of the first concerts I ever went to was Lollapalooza Two, <laughs> back when it was still touring the country. Yeah, and I went to go see Ice Cube, but I'll never forget as I sat all the way in the back towards the fence waiting for Ice Cube to come on, a band I'd never heard of was singing Lollapalooza Two, and I was like, oh, this this sounds pretty good, and uh, that guy's got a good voice, and it was Pearl Jam. I had, oh. never, I had never heard of the group before, and I went out and bought tin the same day, and uh, and I really got into grunge. You know, not that I hadn't been into a little bit. You know, Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit was like the song that ate radio that year. But when I I'm heard holding tin, my tongue a little like, bit. I I really loved. I want to get so into much. it with you at some point about Pearl Jam because I'm going to hold my tongue a little bit. Mm-hmm. But Pearl Jam, I have another list that Pearl Jam falls on. Okay, along with the Killers, these are bands that I for many years have tried and I just can't find my way in. So maybe you'll make that playlist yeah, for me yeah, and bring yeah. me into I'll, the Pearl I'll, I'll Jam talk about it. I mean, it's one of those things I where I, I have not it. listened to 10 probably in 20 <laughs> years, but I remember loving 10 at the time. And I remember loving Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Chili Peppers that same that was the year I got my uh, that was the year I got my first car. So I was driving around playing a lot of those bands. Yeah, me too, actually. But <laughs> I wasn't playing the Pearl Jam. But maybe you will bring me because sometimes maybe. with a band, all it takes is someone to introduce you to that. Right? Yeah. Right song at the right context, and uh, you know maybe it's time for me to open. I my should mind. probably listen to it again. I might go back and listen. There are some bands that I used to love. I've gone back and listened to their records recently. I'm like, this isn't as good as I remember. Right. But the, we'll, we'll 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 jump it at ten. So that was Jane's addiction, and um, those are my songs. Diallo, we got one more, and I can't wait to hear what you have for your well, final selection. Listen, uh, we've been talking about the songs that have had the biggest impact on us, and my next and final song is by a producer who's been making hit music for decades. He's a 13-time Grammy Award-winning producer who in 1999, do you know who it is yet? In 1999, teamed up with Chad Hugo. Oh, you know who this is. Obviously. And drummer Shay Haley to form N.E.R.D. No One Ever Really Dies. The artist we're referring to is Pharrell of the Neptunes, and the track is... Everyone knows all the girls standing in the line for the bathroom. Okay, so a couple of quick things. Number one, the very first time I heard this song, I was in an all-black club. But by the time this song came out, I'm going to have to do the math. I think I'm 31. I think I'm 32. And this song came on in an all-back club, but I was aware that I was like maybe just a little bit older than the 24 and 25-year-olds in the club. This song came on. Everybody knew every single word to it already. And I was just like, where have I been? Like, I know I have a job, <laughs> you know, but like where where was I when everybody was learning all these lyrics? And it was the first time I've ever, it was the first time in my life, and sadly it was you not the last. Behind. It was the first time I realized I was not the youngest person in the club oh, anymore. Man, you know a, what I mean? Like, it really was. But That's a tough moment in every man's it's life. It's a tough time in anybody's life. But I also knew what made the song brilliant because I feel like it was the previous summer that I had gotten a, a, a membership card at a place called the Spider Club. And the Spider Club was this club above the Avalon Theater here in Hollywood. And I don't know how I got the, 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 the membership card um, probably scammed my way in somehow, but it was like a place you could go and every 
Friday or Saturday night, you would see like the Lindsay Lohans and you would see all these people in there. And it was a crazy hip hop party where they took a lot of hip hop and mixed in like a little bit of like the killers or the rapture, like like some of the hipster stuff. It's the DJ AM era of Hollywood nightlife, which sort of found its climax with banana split on Sundays at, uh, I think the club was called LAX. And, you know, this was like at a time when hipster culture and hip hop culture was really, really merging, Mm -hmm. you know, out of this sort of cultural stew, we got Kid Cudi, whose song Day and Night to me encapsulates that period because Day and Night, sort of like this song, it didn't feel like mainstream hip hop radio. It felt like it was paying attention to what was happening in, you know, the electronic world where Daft Punk was really big by this point and in the hipster world where, like I said, you know, anything from like, you know, the killers to um, hot, hot heat. Like we were all sort of going to each other's parties and yes, there were a lot of drugs at, you know, these parties. So when I heard everyone knows, everyone I was knows. like, N-O-S-E. Pharrell is talking. Yeah. yeah. Nose spelled like N O S E. Like I was like, yeah, Pharrell tapped into what, whatever Hollywood swinging was in the late seventies. Like that sounds like going out in Hollywood in the late seventies. Yeah. This was what it was like going out in Hollywood, 2006, 2007. Oh, Everyone I knows. missed it. I feel like I missed that. I missed New York and the Meet Me in the Bathroom. Just era. hang out I with missed, me, man. I'm, I missed all the I'm cool where every scene is at right I was now. Too young. I was. I wasn't born yet for like the Andy Warhol like that scene. No, it I was a fun. It was a fun ass scene. scene. I, I always say that, like you know, as as a as a comedy writer and as a as a you know as a filmmaker, um, I hope to capture the energy. The very first time I heard another seminal song for this period, D A N C E by Justice. Yeah. I I remember the first time that Steve Aoki put that on at, at Banana Split. Everybody was really excited because it had actually come out on the <laughs> – this is the blog house here. It had actually hit really big on Hype Machine earlier that Hype week. Machine? So Why everybody was, like, listening to Dance by Justice and thinking, like, yo, I can't wait till I hear this for the first time yeah. in the club. And then the first time he put it on, I'll never forget this because, you know, Lindsay was, like, friends with Aoki and AM. And and Lohan, like, jumps out onto the dance floor and starts dancing like a freaking maniac. And, like, the dance floor parted, not because she was Lindsay Lohan. She had a red hoodie on. I'll never forget she had a red hoodie on. Unless you'd already known that she had American come in Apparel a red hoodie. hoodie. You didn't know it, it was. That was an American Apparel hoodie, wasn't People, it? It probably was. People were clearing the dance floor because who's this crazy maniac dancing like this, <laughs> dancing hard and clearing the dance floor? But it was the first time we heard, do that, D-A-N-C. I was not expecting a Lindsay and Lohan anecdote. Where I didn't know it was coming up either. Was there, do you have a Paris Hilton anecdote, too? Paris, you know what? Nobody sweated her. In fact, I remember one time I was DJing at a club and she came up into the DJ booth with her laptop, big bulky laptop. And she was like, can you show me how to hook this up? The owner wants me to play like some songs. So we had to like stop what we were doing, hook everything up for her. And she had like, (laughs) I'm I'm gonna start some beef with Paris. So she didn't know how to hook anything up. Oh man. You know, we had great female DJs in that time. Samantha Ronson was amazing, but Samantha was old school. Samantha would actually still show up with like a crate of records. You know what I mean? And she'd dump the records down and she'd be like, I got my own needles. And she would go chop, 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 chop. And she would start spinning and like props to her. You know, Mm -hmm. her and Mark Ronson were great. DJs, but like Paris, that was the beginning of the Celeb DJ. celebrity yeah. DJ who can't hook up shit in the right. booth. But they get people to the club. But well, not drinks. that night because she was a surprise oh. DJ. Oh, right. So much a surprise that I didn't know she was coming. <laughs> you know, shout out to Boulevard Three. That was a hot, you know, nightclub at the time. It's where I met my wife. You know, shout out to my wife, Brittany, listening. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I do listening. not have a Paris Hilton uh, anecdote to uh, to match <laughs> that one, but I almost did, and I, I I'm kicking myself because. 
I there was a uh, Hilton ad on TikTok, and they I was recruited as one of the influencers to be in this ad. And did you refuse? And no, but I set my <laughs> price. We did the negotiation, and they went another direction. I'm using air quotes right now. So I was so excited to uh, to come with a Paris Hilton story at some point. I will just say that but you know, to happen. me, Pharrell and Nerd. They were always exactly where the Hollywood party time zeitgeist was from the time they dropped the first album. The first time I saw a Von Dutch hat, oh I feel God. like it was like You're the very out all next, the 2006 listen, stuff. The very next week, I'm I'm an intern. Like I'm a, I'm barely getting paid any money. I'm an intern at Virgin Records, and they were like, "Hey, here's the Neptune's album." They didn't even call it the NRD. They were like, "Here's the right. Neptune's album," and I saw that cover. With dude wearing, you know, the hat with the Trucker brain hats. on it, playing video games. And I was like, this is hot. And all the label execs were like, I don't know. This seems like a really weird. We want Pharrell on the cover, not. <laughs> I think that's Shay on the cover. I, I could be wrong. I think that's him on it. Like, you know, the, the whole album did, they wanted basically what he had done for Jay Z and everybody else up till then, Nori. They wanted that as a hip-hop album, sort of to go up against another similar hip-hop album, The Violator, Volume 1 uh, album, which was also like sort of like, hey, here's some of our favorite producers working with a whole bunch of artists. No, NERD, they, they were always looking forward. And totally. they, they called the Von Dutch hats. They called, you <laughs> right. know, the, the sort of hipster side, weirdness the and the side, American right. apparel stuff right. that was coming. Right. So, you know, I, I had to put this one on there because, you know, this to me was sort of like a soundtrack to me living in L.A. and going to parties in the 2000s. And Pharrell is such a genius. I'm such a fan. And like that song is such a testament to his genius because yes. it sounds like it's similar to the Portishead story. It sounds like there's lots of samples getting chopped up, but that's all that's all stuff that he played. I bet you a lot of it is just original up. stuff. Yeah, his Triton, he's playing his buckets for the beats. Yeah. And it's just the way it's produced is to make it sound as though it's got the texture and the aesthetic resonance of an actual sample, yeah. but it's it, it was made, it was original material that they just like chopped up and Re, re, self-appropriated for the track yeah so that was NERD everyone knows all the girls standing in the line I love the all those room. stories too I love really it. long title really long title <laughs> 2006 encapsulated wow <laughs> Luxury has been so great getting to know you a little better today this has been super fun. I have to say that I genuinely, I had no idea about the songs you were going to pick, and it was really fun hearing you talk about them. Yeah. I feel like I have another layer of understanding yeah. about the Diallo. There were some surprises in there. I, yeah. I can't believe Port. I, I thought you were going to say The Clash somewhere in there, but really? Portishead, big surprise. Jane's Addiction. I, you know, again, it's one of those groups I feel like a lot of us know, but we don't really know. You know, sort of like how you and I know each other, but right. we don't really know each other. Yeah, and I thought the same way when you selected, like, Pet Shop Boys. I really love that Pet Shop Boys, they almost feel like your Jane's Addiction. Like, there's something really deep and rich about them and, and your connection to them emotionally. Well, yeah, and I will say that I, I'm a true Pet Shop Boys fan, so a little bit of me regrets that I named West End Girls because that's <laughs> sort of like, you know, it's like... Oh, man, you, you can't know, pick oh, a favorite oh, child. Oh, I'm into Blur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like songs, I thought you were going to pick Blur, don't by the do way. Don't do that. Yeah. Like, you know, don't tell a Blur do fan the you like one. song, too. Like, my favorite album is Beatles' Greatest Hits. Yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, I love Bob Marley. Legends? Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe they got so many hits on one album. <laughs> That's the greatest hits, in case those of you who don't know. But yeah, I think this has been full of surprises. Yeah. yeah. By the way, we're not gatekeepers. You are allowed to like Greatest Hits, and you are allowed to wear the band t-shirt to the show. We don't have those kinds of like snobby rules on this show. We're all inclusive. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I am producer, songwriter, and DJ Luxury. And I am actor, writer, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. And this 
his one song. Until next time. Until next time. One Song is a Sirius XM and Kevin Hart's LOL Radio production. It's hosted by me, Luxury, and my friend Diallo Riddle. This episode was produced by Matthew Nelson and Jordan Colling with engineering from Marcus Hom. Additional production support from Leslie Guam, Charles Childers, and Alicia Shimada. The show is executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Weil. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.